when they were hungry and water from a rock when they were thirsty. He graciously chose to dwell among them in the tabernacle and in mercy provided a way to atone for their sin. But his work with them was not done. Long ago, God had promised Abraham that he would not only make his descendants a great nation, but that he would also give them a land of their own. Now he had guided them up to the border of that promised land. But unfortunately, it was already occupied by other nations, some of them quite strong and powerful. It was here that the Israelites would have to face this question. In light of all God had done for them thus far, would they trust him to see his promise through? I love talking about God. I love talking about Jesus. I love talking about God's plan for us. But I have to admit that at times it gets, please excuse me for using this word, but redundant. Steve made the statement earlier talking about the, um, the Lord's Supper. He said, listen, we do this every week. And, and we've got to make sure that we don't just, you know, kind of go through the motions. And what we're doing is even taking the gospel and, and going back and looking at the law in the land, that time, that early part in Israel's history. And we're looking at it through this New Testament perspective because Jesus Christ is the pinnacle, is the, the focal point of all history, particularly biblical history. Therefore, I need to say the same thing over again, which is God is faithful. That's what we've been singing about all morning. Did you notice in the words? You never change. You never change. You're still the same. You are the everlasting God. And do those words ever become glib or redundant? Forget about the, the motions that we go through on Sunday morning, praying, singing, eating, drinking, listening, standing, sitting, leaving. But what happens when it's just the same and then the same and then the same? We, we get, our senses become dulled. And, and we lose not just excitement, but we lose the reality of one of the greatest truths, if not the greatest truth, which is that God is faithful now, I wish it were that simple. I wish it would just stay there, and I still believe that that is the most important truth that you will hear this morning, is that God is, in fact, faithful all the time. God is faithful in good times and bad times. God is faithful when our circumstances are out of our control because they're always out of our control. And God is faithful. Now, here's another truth that seems to be as consistent as this one. It's not, but it seems to be as consistent as this one. And that's this. We eventually fail. Have you experienced that one too? Doesn't matter how excited you are. It doesn't matter how prepared you are. I mean, I do everything that I can to make sure that both my heart and my hands, my head, are prepared for the task in front of me. And it doesn't matter how excited I am. It doesn't matter uh, the amount of years that I spend in preparation, whether that be for my job or whether that be for my marriage or whether that be for my children or whether that be for the relationships that I have that are close around me. It seems like that eventually 
I need to do more than just apologize. I need to just sit in my brokenness and in the process of apologizing, realize just how difficult it is to just obey, to just trust in God, to trust in Jesus. Is it not true it's easier to sing about than it is to do? Right? Much easier to sing about than it is for us to do. So this is what we actually see in the Bible. We see Adam and Eve born, created in the garden. Adam makes, or God makes Adam and Eve from the dust of the ground and from him he makes her and they are perfect. They are behold very good and God has them in a perfect place. And we don't know how long, but eventually they fail. Next thing we see is kind of in the, in the book of Genesis, we see this wonderful man come upon the scene, the man that we know of as great faith with a wife, Abram or Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And we see God call this man out of his land and we see God direct this man to a new land that God is going to promise him. And you wonder, you just wonder, I wonder if this guy's going to be the one to get it right. But we've been going to church too long and we know that he's not. And his mistakes might be less, they might be greater. Who's really to judge sometimes? And there we see Abraham failing and Sarah failing and we see God faithful. This continues all the way down to his great grandchildren. You have this wonderful, wonderful young man named Joseph, his father's favorite and his brothers. And you see the same thing. You see brokenness and failure in this family dynamic to the point where the brothers sell their one brother into slavery. You, you read these stories in the Bible, and, and I'll tell you, uh, I know that it's good for us to, to, hey, come on, this is church. Let's be careful what we say. Have you read this lately? Have you seen the kind of stories that are clearly not censored, but told? And told again, and told again of God's faithfulness and humanity's eventual failure. And it just gets, um, it gets difficult to hear sometimes. And so right now, where, where you and I are in this story of the gospel of the law and the land, we are up out of Egypt and God has demonstrated himself more powerful than all of the gods of Egypt. He has destroyed Pharaoh and his army before, not our very eyes, but we read through the story, but through Israel's very eyes, God demonstrated himself capable and powerful. He demonstrated himself faithful to his promise to Abraham and to his descendants, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and his brothers and now this mass of people that God has created for himself and he is taking them to this new land. And there is a verse, you don't need to look there, I don't even have it on the screen this morning, but there's a very interesting verse that we see in the beginning part of the book of Deuteronomy. I don't know how last time you read the book of Deuteronomy, it's a, it's a very interesting book, and in this book of Deuteronomy, we actually have this account. It just describes that from Mount Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai, from Mount Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, 
which is on the southern part of Israel. So way down by the Dead Sea, all the way up to, the, to Kadesh Barnea, it says it takes 11 days. It takes 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh, which would have been the place where the children of Israel would have entered the land, possibly. And then the next words are very telling. And in the 40th year, in the 40th year, I thought it took 11 days. Talk about, are we there yet, right? Imagine something that takes 11 days, eventually takes 40 years. Why? And I'll give you two reasons. Number one, because God is faithful. And because we, I know it's easy to say, well, not me. No, but it's good for us to come alongside and to realize that um, if, if, if you were Adam and I were Eve or vice versa, that, that we would have maybe made that same mistake, that if, if I was Abraham and you were Sarah, that we would have had that same failure and that same lump in our throat, that same apology, that same frustration. And so we pick it up before the 40 years are over. We're actually at that moment. We're still at that Mount Horeb up to Kadesh Barnea moment. And I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 13. That's where we're going to be in the Old Testament today. Numbers chapter 13. And when you take a look at this story, and I know there is a very popular children's song about these spies that enter into the land of Canaan. But what we see, first of all, in Numbers 13, is the Lord giving instruction. Now again, we've already learned what? That God is what? God is? Therefore, when God gives instruction, I want you to, I want you to kind of, I want to change maybe our thinking a little bit here. Sometimes when we go, God ordered us, we go, well, wow, he's big and strong and mighty and powerful, so we should listen. Sure. I have no problem with that. I have no problem recognizing God's sovereignty and his control and his power. But he's also, let me, let me kind of come in way low on this one, underestimate this statement. God is right. Like he's not just powerful, but he's right. Like, do you believe that his way is actually best? This is going to matter as the sermon moves from Israel to Stillwater. But, but do we trust him, not just that he is powerful and strong and could punish us if we don't listen, but that he's actually right? Here is his instruction, Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. The Lord, this is Yahweh himself, spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. That's the promise that he made to Abraham. That's the promise. That's the promise that not only did he give to, um, uh, did he give to Abraham, but now he's, he's, he's confirmed this now in the time of Moses. We actually see here at this particular encounter, just a few, a uh, little, little bit earlier, we actually see their faithlessness around the golden calf in Exodus 32, and yet God doesn't give up on them, and one of the reasons why is Moses' uh, Moses's appeal to this right here. God, you can't destroy them even though they're evil because you promised and you are faithful. 
And the Lord relented from the thing that he was going to do to them. He remembered his own faithfulness, which is a very interesting phrase. He remembered his faithfulness. So God said, I want you to get these men together and I want you to go spy out the land that I'm going to give to Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone, a chief among them. And and they're sending up to, to spy on the land. I'm wondering what they're spying on. Sometimes this is what happens is that when God invites us, and I love that, I love that statement, it is an amazing thing for you and I to consider that God invites us to participate in the work that he is doing. God's invitation, God's extended hand to draw us into a work that he is in fact doing. In the midst of this partnership, here's the problem is that you and I walk in and we think we're equal partners. No, we don't. We think like we are the one ruling this and God is here to serve us. And if you ever wonder about that, just just listen to the way we pray. God, here's what I want you to do and here's what I need you to do and here's what I really want you to do. And if not, I'll be disappointed and angry that you don't do these things. And I, I wonder sometimes, these are just my prayers, Who's serving who? So God gives this instruction. I want you to go up and and somehow between the instruction that Moses is about to give and getting to the land, what they actually decide is that we're not just here to spy this out because God is going to give us this land, but we are now going to vote on this. That God somehow is, is needing our input, is needing our assessment of things. It's interesting. God invites us to partner with him. God invites us to be a part of this wonderful, redemptive, and restoring process. And we step in and we act like we own the place. Why? Look what Moses says. I want to jump down, still in Numbers 13, jump down to verse 17. It kind of gives some instruction in between there. But in verse 17, now Moses is ready to give the command to the people. So Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, that's verse 17, and he said to them, go up into the Negev and go into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps, tents, or strongholds and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. And then this matters. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season for the first ripe grape. So God in this orchestration, God in his sovereign control leads them up at a particular time where the land looks good, not vulnerable, but good. The land looks like the land that God has described, has described to Abraham and to his descendants. And now Moses is saying, I want you to go up and I want you to take a look. And he says to them, listen, I want you to check it out. I want you to see what we're going to be dealing with here And then he says, and I want you to be of good courage. Maybe we shouldn't be too surprised that the book of Joshua repeats this phrase over and over and over again. Be strong and courageous. 
Why is that? Because you and I, after accepting this wonderful invitation for partnership, quickly slump into what we do best, which is be afraid. To be absolutely afraid and overwhelmed. To to consider ourselves so small in light of the tasks that God has given us. And this is exactly what the children of Israel are about to experience. God says, I want you to pick the chief among each tribe. So these are the leaders. But fear, fear is not something that's just relegated to children. But we all face it. We all know what it's like to be afraid. We all know what it's like to stand and to hesitate, but not just hesitate, to disobey. To not step out in courage, but to shrink back. And it's in moments like this that it is just so important. And this is why I need to just keep saying it over and over and over again. And if I ever get tired of saying it, then I need you to pray for me. And I need you to come alongside of me. And I need you to say, Jim, listen, I know that you've said it over and over and over again. But we need to be reminded over and over and over again that God is faithful. That yes, eventually we fail, but don't forget that God is faithful. And so we see this report coming back. Jump down to verse 27 of our text. And they told him, now these would be the 10 spies. Remember the 10 that were bad? Not the two that were good, but the 10 that were bad, right? And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us, I love this. He points out that God was right. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they have it. But now all the words that people who are afraid and that people who let that fear not only shape the the momentary lapses and those momentary times where we are literally overwhelmed by emotion. I love the reminders of those who are the most courageous saying, listen, courage isn't the absence of fear. It is just the presence of action in the midst of that fear. That's a good reminder. Those who are courageous probably aren't any less afraid as you and I are. They're just holding on to something bigger or something greater. And as children of God, we're holding on to the greatest. Look at verse 28. I like these words. I like to have them underlined because they really show me maybe some of the the, the problems that I create in my own prayers or in my own conversations. So verse 27 makes it very, very clear. It is as God described. However... However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Yeah, how was Egypt? That wasn't a cakewalk. Literally, like, like you're gonna start now talking about, I mean, I, from God's perspective, I just destroyed the greatest nation in the world. And now you're going to talk about strong nations. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large, meaning they have walls. How are we shepherds? How are we former slaves? How are we capable of assaulting these huge fortresses? And the answer is they can't. 
And they took a look around and they did an inventory of everything they had and they forgot they had God. And they came up lacking. And and by the way, once you start with a however, you know there's gonna be more, right? However, reason one why I don't wanna do what God says, and besides, just in case my first one didn't convince you, and besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Oh, not Anak. Not, not him, not his descendants, who indeed were giants. They, they were formidable. That's not the thing. It's, it's not that this was going to be an easy task, that God, when he starts us on these journeys, doesn't usually take us the easy way. God is not the God of least resistance. God is the God of new lands, and God is the God of freedom, and God is the God of liberation, and God is the God of transformation, and God is the God of redemption, and God is the God of restoration, and those are hard. And so essentially, these, these 10 leaders operating from the facts, okay, they didn't make it up, they were operating from the facts, God is correct about the land, but from our assessment, we are incapable of doing what God has said we can do. But they're not the only ones. I love this, that even in the midst of this crumbling around them, failure, this fear which has now led into disobedience, there are still some within, we love to call this a remnant, there are still some within that, that remember, but, but God is faithful. But God is faithful. And although it's not just Caleb, Caleb and Joshua, the great Joshua, are the two of the spies that remain faithful to God and trust in him. In Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, we actually see them standing up and and considering that to let your life be governed and operated by fear, which then naturally leads to disobedience is more dangerous than any giant could ever be. That to disobey God is far worse than falling into the hands of your enemies who have fortified cities. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once. Let there be no hesitation in this. Why? Because God has spoken. And I just feel like this conversation is going to lead in the path of disobedience. I hear what these men are saying. I was there. I saw the exact same thing. But instead of seeing it from our perspective, where the men are great and the cities are greater, I'm looking at it from God's perspective where everything is possible. Caleb says, let us go up at once and occupy it for we will, or so we are well able to overcome it. We are well able to overcome it. And this wasn't one of those you just have to believe in yourself moments. It was a you just have to believe in what God has promised moments. So now we're done, the debate is finished. All the contestants have spoken up, and now it's time for the people to vote. Verse 31. And then the men who had gone up with them said, 
Just in case you didn't hear me, I use the word both, however, and, and besides. He says, we are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone out to spy is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw of it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak. You can read about those in the book of Genesis. The sons of Anak who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves, I love the perspective that we see here, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. We looked at this from our own perspective and we looked at this from their perspective. Is there another perspective? Let me think. Okay. My perspective and your perspective, that's it. And did I forget anybody? I didn't forget anybody, did I? I, I did me. And I did you, that's it. We, we talked about it, we've, we've, we've discussed this now, and I, I shared with you my thoughts, I heard your thoughts, and then we kind of said, hey, anybody else want to say anything? We forgot that God had already spoken, and so we decided. And the people spoke, and they chose to disobey instead of obey. And God said, and this is an amazing part of God's faithfulness, God said, are you ready for this? Okay. Okay. The, the Bible describes God in a number of different ways. Faithful is the big one that we're looking at this morning. But, but do you realize that in God's faithfulness that at times, and this happens all throughout the scriptures, God says to people, I'm going to let you have your way. Can you imagine that? That's just amazing that God would actually say to you and I, I'll let you have your way. One of the scariest things in the world, wouldn't it be? Can you imagine? If God just said to me, okay, Jim, whatever you want, I'm going to let you do. And God gave all of you into my control. How many of you are going, now that sounds like fun. No, that sounds like destruction. That sounds like an accident waiting to happen. That does not sound right in any way, shape, or form. What do you mean? Okay, and God says to them, okay. So often in our prayers, when we ask God for things, and God gives them to us, we, we appear to, in our own thinking, see this as God's wonderful blessing, isn't it? Well, look at what happened here. This is wonderful. And I wonder sometimes the many things that I've asked for that were just not wise to ask for and that God said okay to. We're not designed to be this wonderful blessing for me. But we're designed by God to humble me, to refine me, to show me my need for him, to show me my need to have courage, to show me his faithfulness. Because what we see in this account is that the children of Israel, after they say we don't want to go and God says okay, then you will all die here. That's an amazing judgment, isn't it? You don't want to go up into the land? 
You think I brought you up out of Egypt? The children of Israel love to make this accusation against God. God brought us up out of Egypt just to have us die here. And God said, okay. And hear me, not because he doesn't love them, not because he doesn't care about them, not because he's not incapable of doing something else, but God in his sovereign control, under his sovereign plan, with love and grace and mercy and judgment and righteousness and holiness in perfect union, says to his people sometimes, okay, that's just sobering, isn't it? For us to think about the many things that we pray for at work, the things that we eagerly desire in our, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our homes, for our children. You know what I want for my kids? I just want them to what? I just want them to be happy. I just really want them to be successful. Is there anything wrong in that? I just don't want anything bad to happen to them. I, I know what God has said. I know what God has done in the past. However, have you had this conversation? I know what God has said. However, you can fill in the gap there. And besides, you fill in the rest. But by the time we're done talking, we have let fear redirect our intentions away from God and onto ourselves. And God says to us sometimes, just sometimes, okay. And so that's where we are. God, God lets these children of Israel, this entire generation, die. Except for Joshua and Caleb, no one who was able to make a decision at that moment against God would ever enter into the promised land. They actually, if you read the next chapters, they actually decide, well, that's it. Um, I'm afraid, okay, we made a mistake, and they try to go up and take it by themselves, and God leaves them to themselves, and they fail miserably. Hey, this is the one thing that the 10 spies had right. We cannot do this by ourselves. They were right with that. They weren't like they were wrong. They were right. The problem was they never looked at this from God's perspective, And I still think that's our, that's, our, that's our problem. I still think that's what we get wrapped up in. I think that's why we deal with uh, levels of frustration and anxiety. And sometimes we just want to quit in the most difficult of circumstances. Why? Because we've assessed everything from our perspective and their perspective. And we just can't see another way in which this works out. And I'm just done. I just can't do this. So, so in the last few generations, we, we've had a number of people come along and say, what do you mean can't? Can't shouldn't be in your vocabulary. Power of positive thinking, right? See, that's not where I'm leading us to. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's, it's not just having an optimistic attitude. It is remembering that God is faithful and that we are his people, and that he has called us to himself. 
as I step now into the New Testament, that he has called us to himself in Jesus Christ. He has provided a way for us. He has provided a plan for us. We are now on our way to this new land that God has prepared for us. And, and yet I hear it all the time. I hear, I hear Christian people or people that say they're Christian, sometimes that can be confusing, can't it? Christian people and people who say they're Christians and, and they love to talk about this can't word. And I'm not talking about can't get a promotion, but they, they, they say things like, I just can't forgive them. Or I just, in light of the cross, I just can't forgive them. Well, I just can't get over that. I can't stay with this. I need a change. You know what? I, I just can't go on. I just can't get up. I just can't go out. I just can't go. I, I can't live in community in a vulnerable way again. I just can't. I, I got so burned. I just can't. And yet Jesus tells us repeatedly, does he not? He tells us repeatedly that he is with us, that he is there alongside of us. Jesus has provided the way. Jesus is the greatest picture of God's faithfulness. It's interesting, you and I have these conversations all the time. We'll talk about, can you imagine what it would be like to be the Israelites and to, to see God's wonderful work against the Egyptians and then not trust him? What are they thinking? Let me one-up you. Did, did you know that you and I have seen God's greatest demonstration of himself? He sent his only son to die on our behalf. He is now our advocate before the Father. We are now his representatives in this world. So God put on flesh and died in our place, giving us peace with God. He then filled us with the Holy Spirit. By the way, these aren't just theoretical, theological truths. These are realities. And yet you and I, in some of the most basic going, gathering, and growing moments, find ourselves completely not just inept or unable, but afraid and disobedient. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul goes back and he, he draws some, some, some very interesting words from this section in Israel's history. To a really messed up church, to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul says, hey, listen, if you guys want some some." some insight or some wisdom, I want you to come back with me to a time in Israel's history and I'd like you to come back with me right now. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a great chapter. So here's a messed up church struggling with sexual immorality. They're struggling with divisiveness. This is every, <laughs> this is every eldership or every pastor or every good Christian's worst nightmare kind of a church. Paul is writing this letter to admonish them and to call them to something more. And the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this entire chapter is just full of stuff, but we'll begin at verse 6, talking about the children of Israel and all of their failures as they've left Egypt and they're on the way to the promised land. Look what Paul says. Now these things took place as examples. Now not that they weren't also true, but they now serve you and I as examples for us. 
that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and they rose to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. That's the golden calf account. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things, this is back in, the, back in the Old Testament, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. This is why knowing your Bible has tremendous worth. To be able to go back and say, I don't think I can stay in this relationship, in this covenantal relationship that I've made. And then I can go back in the Bible and I can see what happens when marriage is appreciated and when marriage isn't. I just want to give up on my kids. I'm not saying you're going to sell them to anybody. I'm just going to say that instead of you actually engaging in discipling your children, you're just checked out emotionally. You're far more interested in your golf game or the, or, the, or the football score than you are actually discipling your children to become more like Jesus Christ. You're present, you still pay the bills. But other than that, you're not there. And the Old Testament has these incredible pictures of God's faithfulness and people's failures and God's faithfulness through people's failures. And you and I have such a rich, such a rich story of God's faithfulness and humanity's brokenness and yet God's faithfulness. So Paul says these things happen for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. No temptation. This is where this verse comes from. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No, it's, it's an underlinable verse. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But what? God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will provide the way of escape and you will be able to endure it. I don't care what 10 say. I just care what God says. I don't care what 12 say. I care what God says. I don't care what you feel like. I don't care what I feel like. We have to care what God says. Because he has called him us to himself. He has called us and prepared us to be a people for himself. And he has set us apart so that you and I might go and gather and grow in this community. So that God might be glorified and that you and I might be the people that God is making us to be. You've heard this statement and I'm beginning to not like it at all. In the end, God wins. How many of you heard that? In the end, God wins. I've heard that. I don't know if I necessarily disagree with it. The problem with it is this. It makes it sound like, like right now he's not winning. Hey, in the end, God wins. I know that right now it doesn't look like he's winning to you, but he will win in the end. Don't worry. I know he's losing now, but it's only the second quarter. You should see God. God is like the, the John Elway of God's, Okay. Fourth quarter, he's going to come back. I know that you can't see him, but he's going to come back. This is not true in the sense that right now he's not winning, but he will pull it out. 
Give me something better to say. Instead, not in the end God wins, but what? God is faithful and will accomplish everything that he has promised. So the people of Israel, you're going to get this land. We don't think we can do it. Okay, I'll give it to your children. God says, do you you realize what I have done for you in Jesus Christ? And do you realize what the Holy Spirit has done for you? you? You are capable of, not for your own glory and enjoyment, but for God's. God is not just here along for the ride. He is not just trying to figure things out as we go along. God is sovereign. There's a book I'm reading right now that's a very interesting book, actually. It's called Garden City. I picked it up a couple of weeks ago when I was at a conference. And this guy is actually, it really is. The majority of it is good. A couple of things I had to write on the, on the sideline. Poor. Poorly written. Not because of grammar, but I'm sure there might be some of that in here as well. But listen to this. I know what he's trying to say. It's, it's real popular right now for us to make God, not like the incarnate Jesus, but to make God kind of like us. He says this. God is looking for partners, and that's a dangerous game for God to play. Really? Like God's in heaven going, "Uh uh-oh, I made a mistake there. Really? Like, there is a dangerous game. I want you to just think about that moment. I had to just stop and realize, like, that's not, no wonder we're afraid. No wonder we're becoming disobedient, because even relatively good books, they, they just... We, we don't fully understand or appreciate the full faithfulness of God. He also says it this way. God is involved in your story to the degree that you will open up your life to his authorship. Now that's profoundly stupid. I, I know what he's trying to say. I really, I'm not going to write the guy. I, I get where he's actually coming from. But see, that kind of mentality just leads us back to Mount Sinai instead of into the promised land. God is not just sitting there waiting and hoping you'll say yes. God is moving in love and grace and kindness and mercy, in forgiveness but sovereignly he is moving. He has issued to us the invitation to accept Jesus Christ and to receive this wonderful pardon of our sin, to actually be engaged, not just passively going to church, but actively engage as culture makers, as redemptive and restorative agents in our world, in our city, in our families, in our neighborhoods. It appears from the stories that I read in the Bible, you can say no. But God's still going to move anyway. Do you know that? Do you know that? So the next time it comes up to a vote, can we just recognize that anyone starts their speech with however and and besides? We just won't listen to them, will we? For the Lord God has already spoken about what he's promised. Let's pray. And so God, we thank you for this incredible opportunity that we have to be a part of your kingdom, of your purposes. And God, this isn't just about the promised land, it is about my family. It is about my marriage, it is about my workplace. It is about my neighborhood. 
It is about the use of the gifts and the abilities, the time that you have given to me and to us. And therefore, I pray that we would remember, 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 remember what we have in Jesus Christ, the indwelling of the Spirit. May we look deep into your word and realize that others have have been faithful and others have been faithless, but you have only been faithful. And may we trust you. And may we live, Father, for your glory, for others' benefit, and for our greatest joy. And all God's people said,